0: Welcome to the Tailored Life Podcast, the one and only fitness and nutrition podcast that goes way beyond just training and nutrition and helps you create a life by design. I'm your host, Cody McBroom, and today we are definitely going beyond just training and nutrition. I'm very excited about this episode. Today I have the author, Steve Magnus, who just recently came out with a book called Do Hard Things, Why We Get Resiliency Wrong and the Surprising Science of Real Toughness. I'm very excited about this podcast because one, it's a phenomenal book, but two, I think it's a topic that needs to be discussed more in today's world. And as a fitness entrepreneur, a father, a leader, I truly value hard work and the reward that comes with it and the sensation you get physically and psychologically from doing hard things. And I think it's, it's a very difficult thing to do, <laughs> no pun intended, because when you step into doing hard things, it is a big step to take. It's very difficult to take that first step. It's very difficult to step into discomfort and out of your comfort zone. But when you do, you are so much more likely to be fulfilled and successful in life. And that's really what we dive into today. That's what this book is about. But it's also about discussing what doing hard things is really about. Like he said, like developing real toughness and resiliency based on science, And it's not this like macho, rah-rah bravado that a lot of people get mistaken by. There is a lot of science behind it. And I think it's actually more appealing than some people will uh, seem to believe in today's world. So the goal of this podcast is obviously to highlight his book, Do Hard Things. And I think everybody should go grab a copy. So there will be links to that in the description of this podcast. Uh, But ultimately, my goal for this episode as well is for you to leave being more excited about doing hard stuff in pushing yourself out of your comfort zone so that you can grow as an individual and you can be more successful, more happy, and more fulfilled in your life. So very, very excited. Uh, You are going to really enjoy this podcast. And I know if you enjoy this podcast, you will enjoy his book, which once again is linked in the description of this podcast. Before we get into the episode, I want to shout out our coaching. It is the one offer we make. It is what we are experts at. So if you need help with your training or nutrition to lose weight, improve your performance, change your lifestyle, build muscle, whatever it is, you can head to taylorcoachingmethodcom slash online-coaching, or you can click the link in the description. We would love to set up a free strategy call with you and talk to you about getting your results ASAP. Now, without any further ado, let's talk to the one and only Steve Magnus. All right, Steve, man, I'm excited about this one for a few reasons. Uh, Number one, my assistant had to have been right after your book came out, um, emailed me and was like, we need to get this book uh, for, uh, everybody on the team. Like, I think this would be a really cool gift to give everybody. It's right up our alley. She loved it. Um, and then I heard shortly after that, I heard you on a podcast and I was like, Oh, perfect. And I listened and I was like, I need to reach out to this guy. So I was so happy you responded and we can get you on. This is a topic that, um, I touch on quite a bit, but I don't really know the science behind it. And the fact that you do, and you know, there's some, uh, good stories. I think that uh, inside the book, uh, you can even just see on your website and through previewing some of the stuff, kind of sharing what people may have thought like, quote unquote, doing hard things or even like the statement being hard on a team or anything like that would actually mean and how that might not be the best approach. So I'm, I'm really excited about this. But if you can real quick, uh, briefly, who are you, Steve? And why did you decide to write this book?
1: Oh, man. So I am a now a performance coach consultant. My background is actually in running. So I've been thinking about difficult things, challenges, etc. for most of my life, initially in the sporting world, because like, what else is running? I was a long distance runner. What else is running except you're in your head, trying to tolerate as much pain and discomfort as you possibly can. So You have to figure out how to do that, which is, you know, at the heart of doing difficult or hard things. And then I think more recently, what I realized is the more and more work I did outside of the athletic world is that doing hard things, having challenges in our lives serves a vital function that is often neglected in society. And I think so often society kind of pushes us to avoid difficult things, to avoid wrestling with the emotions, the experience that comes with challenging ourselves. So I just thought it was kind of the time was right to throw this book into the world and throw my two cents in with it.
0: Uh, man, I could not agree more. And it's funny because uh, so one of my, my good friends owns a gym um, and he I don't run. I'm not a runner. Um, this is not what I do because it's very hard. And so he started running and I was having a conversation with him and I was like, I don't understand how you get into it. And I'm like, what do you listen to? And he's like, sometimes nothing. I'm like, how do you run for that long without listening to anything? So long story short, he convinced me to to go for it. So this marks week one of trying to be more of a runner a few times a week starting. And uh, day one, I pro- thought I programmed all my music onto my Apple watch after the first song, the downloading stopped and I literally had no music for the whole run. <laughs> and it was actually better than I thought it would be. You know, it was actually pretty peaceful and it was a lo- It was not peaceful because I was sweating my ass off and breathing. And I'm not a great runner, but it allowed me to really like create clarity and get my, head. So I-, I get it a little bit more. Um, but I couldn't agree more. I think more and more people need to hear this, and I think now is the perfect time to write it. Because previously, you wrote, uh, I know peak performance. I don't know if there's more books than that, but a lot of it was more geared towards performance, correct?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I've kind of lived in the performance a game for a while. So this kind of marked a again, it's still performance, but it's like marking a little departure. And I'm I'm glad you you know you you gave the story there on your own running because I think. That's where it, that's what's so valuable. And what I would say to listeners is it doesn't have to be running like anything. And I'm sure we'll get into this, but anything where you're spending time in your head wrestling with that kind of stuff is a path towards like creating some resilience and grit.
0: Yeah. So do you have, uh, examples of the science, a little bit more of the nerdy kind of stuff? Cause most of our listeners, we, we dive a lot into this stuff with training and nutrition specifically. And this is a realm that I haven't been able to do too much. Um, we have talked about the science of, uh, discipline and willpower a little bit, but I think this kind of is right on that cusp and, and kind of dives a little bit deeper. Um, but essentially giving people some more scientific proof of like, hey, you really do need to do hard things. Like, what is it about hard things? Like, what results do those create in people's lives? And is there a scientific, like, kind of backing or research or tie to this to to kind of give people that proof?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So there's a couple different things. First, I'm going to talk about maybe in the non-physical realm. There was a recent study that was just wonderful that Took groups of people and made them do one of the hardest things that I think is possible right now, which they took people from different sides of the political aisle and said, you got to talk to the other side. <laughs> and what I loved about this study is they, they split the group in half and they said, hey, one of you, you're going to talk to your political enemy about politics and like, I just want you to talk to them. The other side, they said, I want you to see this as a challenge, as something that's going to be incredibly uncomfortable, that's going to make you feel kind of at some anxiety and discomfort and want to make you just yell at the guy and run away. But that's the point, like embrace that discomfort when you have that conversation, make this the, the goal. And not surprisingly, when they looked at the results of the study, the people who embrace the discomfort of that conversation a, ended up getting along with the person from the opposite side of the political aisle better. And then B, thought the conversation was more productive. And then C, saw it as almost like an opportunity to learn and grow. And they felt like they got something valuable out of it. And I think that from a psychological standpoint, if we look at the research, when we put ourselves through challenges, that's kind of what it was, fulfills is this basic psychological need that we know we have to challenge ourselves to see if we can grow to see if we can get better at something and that in turn what we know that increases what we call intrinsic motivation Mm. so not being motivated by just like the the money the cash the prize the reward But being motivated because like this is internally worthy of, you know, pursuing the joy of the pursuit itself. And all sorts of good research shows us that um, intrinsic motivation is what keeps us going over the long haul and makes us a a little more resistant to burnout. So I think part of it is when we take on challenges and do hard things, like we're, we're stoking that fire of intrinsic motivation and seeing progress. And then the other side of it from a science and psychology standpoint that I think is really important is if you look at our current world is we all feel really stressed a lot of the time, but the biology shows that it's not an overwhelming amount of stress. It's that we're almost have this chronic low-grade fever of stress. Mm. So it's not like we're feel like a nine out of 10 stressed all the time is that we literally just sit at like four or five out of 10. And it's that chronic stress that really causes a lot of the ills to our psychological health, but also our physical health. And what some of the research shows is that it helps to kind of rewire that stress system to get back to its original intention, was, which was originally feel stress when a lion approaches us. And then when the lion is gone or we escape, like get rid of the stress. Yeah. And what happens when we take on physical challenges or even mental or psychological challenges, going up and giving a speech, what happens is we get back to that kind of original intention of stress. We are stressed because we are doing something hard. So we feel all that adrenaline, that cortisol. But once we've done that hard thing, stress levels go back down to zero because the, the danger is gone. The challenge is gone. And what replaces it is that feeling of like accomplishment and feeling like you're alive and satisfaction that you get maybe after, you know, uh, lifting a new personal best or running a new personal best or whatever have you. So I think in many ways, like this, this taking on challenges fulfills us both psychologically, but also biologically in places that the modern world seems to fail us, i
0: love that. i have a few few follow up things i want to run by you um so one i I heard of a uh i'm I'll ask these separately sometimes i'll ask all of them then it just jumbles up so i'll I'll do these separately but I love this topic. Um, So I heard somebody talking about a study, so I I can't tell you, I can't cite it because I was just listening to another science-based podcast. Um, But they were talking about uh, the dangers of stress and how stress can damage your immune system and obviously like lead to um, issues with longevity and health, all that stuff long-term. But they find that it's less about the amount of stress and more about um, their perception of stress, if that makes sense. Like you and I can have the same stress, but if you are more prone to just fear that stress or see it as a higher stress than I am. And I'm just kind of chill. It's, you know, it'll work out, whatever. I'm less likely to have those repercussions from it. Is this, is this kind of tied to what you're talking about a little bit and maybe doing hard things allows us to get more towards that
1: side? It, exactly. There's a, there's a whole branch of research that essentially calls it like, do you see stresses, anxiety or excitement? Mm. Because, you know, the underlying biological, like drivers and hormones, like they're slightly different, but they're really close. So the example I like to give is like, you know, when I'm walking up to the starting line of a race or about to, uh, you know, get on the stage to speak is like all of that adrenaline, cortisol, stress, et cetera, is going through my body. Well, all that is doing is preparing me to do something hard, Mm -hmm. right? It's saying, hey, you're about to start a race. You need some adrenaline so that like we're ready and there's energy there and your muscles are ready to fire. Right, But I can interpret that in two different ways. I can see that as, oh, this is excitement. This is getting me prepared. Or I can interpret that as like, oh, my gosh, this is anxiety. I'm nervous. I'm not ready to go. I'm going to fail this thing, even though it's the same kind of sensation behind it. Mm. And what the research clearly shows is that if we interpret it as that kind of anxiety, then it pushes us down both the psychological and biological like path that is like fear-based, that is negative based, that is like you know, protection-based. So you talked about immune system. Mm-hmm. One of the reasons, if we see it as anxiety, your immune system tends to kind of shut down in this like self-preservation mode. It's like, holy crap, like shut everything down and divert all of our power to this over here because we might not survive this. Well, if you see it as like a challenge or excitement, then what happens is your body doesn't shut things down. It says like, okay, this is going to be a good challenge. Like, let's throw our weight behind this, but know that like, we're not going to die. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, so there is some, some very clear science behind that.
0: I love that. It's funny. Cause like the second thing I was going to ask you is, was that exact thing? Because I remember I don't remember who told me this, but it was like a meditation mantra and it was my anxiety is my excitement. And so I often tell people the same thing. If I'm going to speak at a seminar and there's 100 people there and I'm anxious, I have to remind myself that like I'm actually really excited because this is what I want to do and I'm going to talk about my craft and this is the work, my work over the years, like leading to something great, Right. And because of that, I can get over that anxiety pretty quick and I can let that cortisol and adrenaline kind of just give me the energy I need to perform, you know? Um, And I, and I find that people need that more often than not. But this is also why I think reading stuff like your book is important because it educates you on that. Because, so for example, we did like this, uh, it was called the tailored life challenge. And it was like a set of habits and we had different levels to it. And one of the levels, it got more difficult as you went up, but it was like daily things. And one of them had like a cold shower for a certain amount of time. Right. And there were people that would well why am i doing this? And it's it's like, well, if you have an outcome that you want to achieve and you can tie doing this difficult task every day to that outcome, then you're going to be able to more easily do it each time. It's going to suck, but you're do it. But if you can't tie it to if you can't understand why this is going to help you, there's no point in doing it because you're just standing in cold water for no reason, you know? And I think I think that education plays a big role of people learning to go, okay, this is a hard task. I don't want to do the shit, but if I do it, It is going to help me get a raise in my job or be a better husband or whatever the thing is like can you tie it to the outcome of your sport of your career whatever and then you can probably perceive it that way that you're talking about
1: yeah i love that because essentially what you know the way i like to explain it from a science side is the brain is predictive so it doesn't know exactly what's going to come but it wants it wants to prepare for what's coming right So if you tie that, hey, I'm getting in this cold shower because it helps me with X, Y, and Z, that's giving your brain that context to say, oh, well, this is why we're doing this. So instead of predicting like disaster and escape and get out of the shower because this sucks, instead I'm going to predict this as like a challenge that is going to help me over the long haul. So sometimes just as you know, the way we frame things or perceive things like or label things can have a big impact on not only our psychology, but our biology for it. So I, I'm in 100% agreement. I think the more you can kind of, you know, educate yourself, so you know why you're doing something. And the other part I would say is, as well, as you mentioned in there is, you know, getting ready to do something hard, you said, um essentially, like, reminding yourself i get to i'm choosing to do this mm-hmm. like i want to do this i think that's really important too because what happens is when we actively choose to do it it shifts our mindset as well our brain goes okay yeah yeah like we want to be in this difficult spot we're not like being tortured or thrown into it like we're actively choosing that and because we choose it it our brain almost kind of like loosens the reins and says like hey I know you want to do this. I know this is a challenge. Like, I'm not going to sound the alarm as early as I I normally would because we want to be in this position. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, I got to imagine this is, I don't know if you've read the book Infinite Games, but a big part of it is like being process-oriented versus outcome-oriented, right? Even though like we're talking about here, attaching that outcome to the process so that you understand why. But I got to imagine doing this consistently will probably help people be more process-oriented because you learn to like really embrace what you're doing right now um, which I think is part of like what we're, we'll talk about soon with the pillars and stuff but the, the last question I had on my mind based on what you were saying um, and I don't know if there's any research to prove this I, I made a post on Instagram talking about this it was just like a theory I had and I, I got some pushback from some people um, that were like more on the social worker side of things I think saying I couldn't make these claims however obviously over time depression has gone up anxiety has gone up suicide has gone up a lot of unfortunate things have gone up right and alongside that work ethic has gone down convenience has gone up so the need to do things for yourself has gone down physical labor has gone down physical activity has gone down so my like correlation was just that you know there's all this research to show if you are more physically active if you work hard and you get rewarded for the hard work you do if you are outside being active and doing labor if you have less body fat because you're at your playing a sport or training, a lot of these things do improve the the chemistry and the neurotransmission in our brain that lead to more intrinsic motivation, positivity, less anxiety and stuff. So my assumption is that there's got to be some kind of correlation with why these things are increasing while all these positive things are decreasing. Um, and a lot of what you're talking about is, is it, it lines up with that really well. And I think that's part of why I, I, I vibe with it so much. But would you agree with that? Do you think there's like, can we... I know we can't say like, this is fact because maybe there's not a study showing that thing, but it seems like there's some correlations here.
1: Yeah, exactly. I don't want to get myself in trouble with anybody, but (laughs) what I would, what I would say is this, is there's definitely a correlation. And what we do know is we can't, what I, what I can't say is we can't say a causes B, right? But what I can say is that if you, even if you look at the science and research, we know without a fact, I think this is incontrovertible that, um, doing physical difficult things exercising etc helps with our stress response system mm-hmm. and i think part of that is again is he, I, I what i'd like the listener to do is imagine almost like your your kind of stress hormone neurochemical systems as as muscles if we didn't ever use them in the way that they were supposed to be used they were detrained right They would are just like if we went in and tried to lift some weights and never lifted before, Mm -hmm. like we wouldn't be that strong. I think the same thing applies to kind of those stress hormonal neurochemical systems is if we never activate them in the way that they're supposed to be meant to be activated, either they're going to be detrained or they're going to be hyper responsive or like hypersensitive to a stimulus. Mm -hmm. So I think there's a lot of value when you look at Doing things like physical challenges or hard work or even psychological challenges in a controlled way. I think that really does tie to a lot of uh looking at um looking at mental health. And actually, you know, this just came to my mind, but this might be the validation you need. I forget the author, but there was a there's a uh, there was a scientist a couple of years ago that wrote this book. I'm blanking on the name, but it was something on resilience. And he went through all of the biology that underlined why doing physical things supported our mental health and decreased things like depression. Mm-hmm. And I think that while we don't have that exact link, you know, perfectly, I think it's very easy to say and argue that, like, doing physically difficult things will support your mental health and put you in a better place. It's not perfect. It's not a replacement for therapy or anything like that, but it is definitely something that like will benefit and and you know give you a a better foundation for you know happiness and well-being.
0: Yeah. Uh, I love it. I think that's I'm, I'm going to have to if you figure out that book send it to me because I would love to know that, but um yeah, and I and I think when I said social work, it's probably the wrong way. Essentially, they were arguing that some people are born this way and need to be on medication for, forever. And I, and I I didn't disagree with them because I'm not going to sit on Instagram and argue with people. That's just not what I do. But um, my thought is, like you said, it's like even if somebody does need that, why would we not add in positive habits that lead to a less re- reliance on pharmaceuticals and, and things that we know can have negative side effects, right? And And cost a lot of money, you know? But going outside and being physically active... That doesn't cost any money. Doing hard things most of the time um, don't doesn't cost much, right? And I do think that there's a correlation with that. Even with people, um, you know, with COVID, that's a great example. Like when COVID hit and everybody had shut down and it was a shock and we didn't know anything about it, I'm sure the people who did a lot of hard things probably handled that period of time a little bit better because they were able to, uh, I think you ta- you're going to talk about it soon, but like respond, not react. They were able to maintain their, their calm and their control over their, their, their mindset and their life versus letting something take over and fall into a deep pit, which is very likely to happen
1: when something like a pandemic happens. Yeah, absolutely. And and just to kind of put a pin in that last point, there actually have been some studies that compared exercise to the use of antidepressants. And exercise has has actually again, not for everybody, but on average shown to have similar effects on on depression and, and things like that. So I think there is a lot of value to that as well. And I think to the point you just made, especially with COVID is, again, this stuff is like a muscle. So here's, here's how I like to explain it is we all have this kind of alarm that goes off in our head. Right. And if I didn't exercise for a very long time and I went out the door and I tried to like just run really hard as fast as I could, um, that alarm in my head will go off really quickly and really soon because it would be like, Steve, what in the hell are you doing? This hurts a lot. If instead I'd spent weeks and months running and training, et cetera, that alarm goes down a little bit, even if I'm feeling the same level of discomfort because it knows We've been here before. Mm -hmm. Like, we don't need to freak out. This isn't life or death. The same thing applies when we look at doing all sorts of challenges. And in this case, COVID, which I think validates what you just said there is that if you have trained that kind of alarm system in your brain to know that, hey, this is going to be difficult, this is going to suck, but we're going to be okay then you're you're gonna not perfectly but you're gonna have the skills to cope with it a little bit better versus if you haven't and you get thrown into this situation that is incredibly harrowing where or hard that you have little or no control over then your brain is going to freak out that alarm is going to be like you know a five alarm siren going off in your head and if that happens like of course, you're gonna default to like apathy and unease and anxiety and not having anything to do because, you know, that's kind of your your brain's protective mechanism. So I think absolutely it it plays a big role. This uh,
0: one last thing before we get into the pillars, um, like, so I read I read this uh, I don't I think it was a I don't know if it was a meta analysis or just like a review of some papers or whatever, but it was essentially on. Um, Uh, women surviving breast cancer um, who either were or were not um, religious to add some faith. And it didn't even say specifically what belief they had. I think it was a mixture. But they showed an increase of survival rate when when they believed in some kind of God. And they kind of tied it into the science of self-belief and how I've looked into a lot of placebo researchers from, I mean, what we do is training nutrition supplementation. There's a lot of placebo effect with these things. But I got to imagine there's some kind of self-belief placebo tie-in to this. I don't know if you've looked into some of that stuff, but just showing that if, because one of the things I did recently was a, a, a podcast on willpower. And there was a study that basically tried to figure out why some people have more willpower than others. And it kind of just boiled down to the people who had it just looked in the mirror and said, I have it. <laughs> and they just believed that they had willpower and now they have it. So t- like, this is where I tell people all the time too, like the cheesy, like self-talk Affirmations in your journal, look yourself in the mirror and say some things out loud, like as as corny as it may sound. I think there's something to a lot of these things because it it does kind of create that that story and the narrative in your head that you can do it. And then these hard things you're talking about are probably way easier.
1: Yeah, you know, it sounds really cheesy and corny, but like the stories we carry around in our heads are so powerful. And actually, there's there's yeah, there's lots of data and research on this. This is why one of the more effective uh, therapies that that therapists and psychologists and psychiatrists use is called as um, narrative therapy, where you essentially write your story down in your journal and then rewrite it more compared to what you what you would say is like your ideal self, mm. the self that you want to be. And the reason that's a, effective is because as humans, we're storytelling machines. Like it's kind of how we devolved in or evolved and developed, you know, out on the Savannah when you're looking, you know, way back in the day is mm-hmm. stories like held on because we couldn't write stuff down. We couldn't like anything else. So stories played a central key and role. So the point being like stories in general are powerful and the stories we tell ourselves, I think are even more powerful. So sure we can call it placebo but the power of like self belief or belief you know having some sort of belief or purpose is incredibly powerful in fact there's a there's a theory in exercise uh, science and exercise physiology that essentially says that when we're exercising hard we're running a race lifting weights or what have you we never actually get to like our our full potential because our brain holds us back so if we're running our marathon our brain literally shuts down our muscles and all of that before we get to like overheating, you know, for most of people, every once in a while we have a haywire. But for most people, it shuts us down before we get to like where we're in actual danger or ran out of actual fuel in our muscles. But one of the ways that we can kind of push a little further into that is if we have what's called a self-transcending purpose. So getting back to that religious study and in, in mm-hmm. breast cancer survivors, if it's, if we, if we know, or we believe I'm not just doing this to get the, the trophy or for me out here, but I'm doing this as part of, I don't know, my expression to God, or because I'm raising money for charity of cancer victims, or because like I'm taking on this challenge to, support my friends or family or whoever who's going through something, like whenever we have a purpose that transcends just kind of our inner selfishness, we're able to push further into that kind of like danger zone and our brain kind of loosens the the reins a little bit to allow us to do it. So I think, you know, if, if you're going through the, one of these challenges, this is why meaning and purpose and, and having something behind, you know, or a reason behind why you're doing something is so important and so powerful because it'll make the difficult seem a little bit more manageable.
0: Yeah, it's so good. It's uh, in it. And I would say it works in the exact reverse, too. If somebody's getting ready, like so for me going on these runs, if I'm going into it, like my knees are going to hurt. This is going to suck. I have no music like I'm screwed. (laughs) It's not going to be a good time. But if I go into it, reminding myself why I'm doing it, what the challenge is going to make me better at in other areas of my life, so on and so forth, like it'll pay off, you know, and it'll be a lot easier. So, um, I love that. Uh, the, the last question I have before we get into the actual pillars is really just cause I think it's context people will need before understanding more of this is how do we define hard? People always like have asked me, I want to build discipline or I want to do a challenge. So how do I choose what to do? Um, and I've never really had a good answer. I just kind of ask them what things come to mind and we kind of try to like narrow it down. But how do you define something as hard? Like what is the hard thing and how, like, cause then I think, you know, to adding to that, sometimes people can shoot way too far and it's like, okay, you don't need to do that much, but you need to do something. It has to be uncomfortable. How do you determine that?
1: Yeah, that's the tricky part. So here's what I like to do is I like to pay attention to like your, your experience and your feelings. So what is hard? Anything that pushes you to feel discomfort, anxiety, stress, right? Where you have that doubt, you need a little bit of doubt on oh man, can I do this? Do I want to do this? If you have a little voice in your head that is saying like, escape, quit, don't do this, go the other direction, that's generally a good indicator that it's a hard thing. Now, the other part of that that I think is really important that you brought up is we want to make sure that we're challenging ourselves appropriately. And most of the research in psychology tells us that we need something that pushes our bounds, but isn't pushing it so much That like it's impossible or would need, you know, a near miracle to accomplish. So I like to frame this as kind of a just manageable challenge. So it's barely just manageable, meaning like, you know, if you put your mind to it, if you if you work hard at it, you can accomplish the goal or come pretty damn close. Um, That is the kind of challenge that we're looking for for that kind of sweet spot. So just manageable, not overwhelming something that brings some stress, anxiety, doubt, but not complete terror or fear.
0: Do you think there's a, like a, you almost need, cause I, I'm even thinking of like selfishly like my running thing. At first it was, I mean, I just want to be able to create space and, and I have such bad ADHD. So like float tanks, stuff like that. I've always been something I don't enjoy, but I'm already noticing like after the first run, I was like, oh, I think I'm gonna be able to like, kind of like some of these things and I have different tempo run stuff. So we'll see after I do all the different ones. But my fear is that after, because I'm an athlete, after a few weeks, I'm like, actually, this isn't that bad. I actually kind of like it. If I can pull those positive things out, does it make sense for people like me or, or when accomplishing habits like this to set a goal where it's like, I'm not just running to accomplish the fact that I went on a run, but now it's like, okay, well, I got to do, there's no way I'm doing a marathon, but like a, a sprint triathlon or something like that, where it's yeah, like, yeah. okay, there's still something at the end that is scaring me a little bit that I have to be serious about this with. Does that make sense? Yeah.
1: I do. I think that again, it's very individual, but I think that a goal can be something that kind of drives and motivates you. And the one thing I'd say on there is again, I'll cite the research that is pretty clear is that you want a goal that is authentic to you and what you're trying to accomplish if it's imposed by someone else. So if someone else says, like, hey, Cody, like you're gonna run this marathon with me, it's probably not gonna have the effect that that you want. If instead you said, hey, I'm going to sign up for this sprint triathlon or whatever it is, Mm -hmm. because it like represents a challenge that I want to go after. Got
0: it. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. Okay, so throughout the book, you have these different pillars and this is um, I'm assuming is just like anything else is like we're breaking down the overall theme into categories of like what steps we need to take. To go through with this, right? So, pillar one is ditching the facade and embracing reality. Which I already love the title of it, but like, fill us in on what this is and why it's important.
1: Yeah. So, I think so often when we look at at tackling challenges, we think that we have to go in with this kind of like uh, bravado and bluster of like, okay, I'm going to do this, and I'm gonna I'm gonna have all this confidence in the world and all that stuff. And confidence is key, but it's not about that kind of external version of competence. Instead, it's accepting that the challenge itself, like what those demands are. So if it's actually going to be really difficult, you need to accept that. You don't need to like push it away or try to minimize it. You say, hey, this is going to be a difficult challenge. And the second part of this is accepting what you're capable of. So when i say bravado and bluster if we if we pump ourselves up and you say cody like you know i'm an athlete like i'm capable of running 5 miles today whatever in your first run because i'm an athlete like this is who i am well what often happens is if that capability doesn't align with reality we're going to quit right because we've given, given we've set our brain up to fail we've set it up to think like oh look how confident i am i can accomplish this And then when the moment it gets really hard and you realize, hey, that might not be, you know, this might be a little bit more than I I wanted to bite off, your brain's going to default to quitting. So it's really about aligning kind of, you know, what are you really capable of? And like, what are the actual demands of the task? And it comes back to that thing where we talked about just manageable challenges is you want clarity on the challenge you're you're taking on like you don't so many times the other thing i'd say as well is that so many times people think like <laughs> oh i got to do something really difficult and challenging and then they they think of like the most challenging thing in the world right they say i'm going to take up running but they don't say i'm just going to try and finish these runs they say i'm gonna i'm gonna run a marathon in two months yeah. well that's probably unrealistic maybe some people can do it but probably unrealistic and that sets you up again for failure versus instead like taking the the slow, consistent path towards like creating this habit of challenging yourself so that before you know it, maybe you are ready to take on that marathon or that that really big challenge.
0: I think that uh, anytime, I mean, I'm biased this because our company is called Tailored Coaching Method. So everything is always about individualizing the process and experience. But I almost see that here because I feel like in today's world with this like, do hard things, do hard shit, like do the work kind of mentality, which I have fallen into many times. And, and I'm, I'm a very, I love that. Like that motivates me. Like just the, the fact that it's hard and somebody that is like accomplishing these things and telling me to shut up and get it done, like that motivates me. But I understand that doesn't motivate everybody. So I think of stuff like this where I feel like there's either, not doing anything difficult at all. And then there's like the David Goggins, you know, and people don't know how to find that like middle ground or even like you said, uh, accept or embrace reality of like David Goggins is up here, whether he started that way or not, who knows, but he's, he's an alien. He's not like the rest of us. And maybe your hard thing is, you know, it's way smaller. Like you said, I am an athlete. I set a goal of two miles and I was like, I hope I can get this done. And I did get it done. And it wasn't like the best two mile time, but I was pumped about that because I don't run more than I haven't ran more than a mile since school, but like um, this whole thing, like ditching the facade, it's kind of individualizing it, right? It's figuring out where you land in that spectrum. Uh,
1: Perfect. And that's why I included this, because again, I think what David Goggins has done is amazing and great. But like you said, he's an alien and, and too often we look at like the aliens or the top of the top and we say, okay, this is what I have to do. And if we're real with ourselves, like most of us aren't David Goggins or Michael Jordan or LeBron James or whoever it is, it's just like the luck of the draw, you know? So instead like individualize it. Like Mm -hmm. in the reason I think this is so important is because again, sometimes the hard things are like super simple. Like nowadays I'll, I'll tell you, I, I used to work with a lot of college and high school kids and athletes and sometimes the hard thing for them was literally calling people on the phone instead of texting Mm -hmm. and making that a habit and you're sitting and you know someone like us like we'd be like what how is that hard but if you've grown up your whole life and just texted 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 like calling people and having conversation with them might be kind of freaking hard or calling a random stranger so sometimes it's simple stuff like that where it's like well, why do we need to do that? Because, you know, in order to be a productive member of society, you got to learn that skill. So like, get on with it, go through it. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is the same here is with when we talk about physical challenges is you don't need to be David Goggins and run yourself to death. Like, find yourself a happy medium where you're taking on a challenge that is appropriate for you. And maybe over time, I don't know, maybe you do become David Goggins, more more power to you. But like that. Does it necessarily have to be the starting port point or the end goal?
0: I don't know if there's any like uh, anything you've read or researched with like sports psychology or history that would like line up with this. But, you know, because I, I agree 100 percent with everything you just said. The other part of me is like I don't want people to uh, be too easy on themselves and be like, oh, well, you know, I'm not get David. And the reason my mind goes here is because I've always looked at people like I don't I don't play sports. I just train. So I look at people like Michael Jordan, Kobe all those people and I would never go, you know, I'm going to start playing basketball and I'm going to, I'm going to be, I'm going to be like them, you know, but I could, I could think of myself having the same work ethic they did. It's something else, you know? And I think that's something that people could also take from this is like, Hey, you might not be David Goggins, but what could you put that level of intensity? Maybe not even David. He's like, He's on another level. Let's say, let's just say Kobe, (laughs) Kobe Bryant or Michael Jordan. Like, if what could you put that level of work ethic and intensity into that you are already naturally good at or care about, instead of trying to shift to a different lane, like do all the hard things in these other lanes just to make yourself more resilient, but then apply it to something that you could be Kobe in. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And you know what's funny? It's like I think so often we talk about like motivation and work ethic and all those things, and it's really good. But what you inevitably see is that. We're often motivated in things that interest us, and like our talent and our our quality, like o- overlap and align. Mm-hmm. So Michael Jordan, like undoubtedly, had a, a crazy motivation and work ethic, but he also liked and was good at basketball. Mm-hmm. So to me, it it you know to kind of uh, hit your point is find that thing where it's like, oh, this is where my talents and interests align. And then apply that work ethic and motivation and trying to develop in that field towards this thing. And if you do that, then absolutely, you can, you know, achieve success and improve your performance and all that good stuff.
0: Yeah, I love it. Uh, Pillar two, listen to your body. So I think this kind of lines up well with uh, making sure you're in the right spectrum of this range. But what do you mean by listen to your body?
1: Yeah, so so often when we're talked, we're told to like take on challenges, do hard things is. Or at least in my generation, like you're told to like ignore everything, Mm. like push away emotions, feelings, thoughts, doubts, like push them away. And that is one strategy. And that strategy can work in certain situations. But I also like to think of it, you know, is our body is communicating with us and I need to be the person to choose, like, do I listen to this message or do I let it float on by. Mm And the example I like to give for athletes that we all know is that maybe early on in our athletic career, we went out and worked out, you know, we didn't know the difference between soreness that meant like, Hey, I was just training hard and soreness that meant injury. Mm -hmm. And the only way we learned how to distinguish that is we, we went and did difficult things worked out. And listen to our body to understand, oh, no, no, I can keep training through this one. Or, you know, oh, my calf feels a little bit like this. This might mean I'm about to strain it or tweak it or what have you. I got to call it because this is leading to injury. Mm -hmm. And that's what I want people to think of both in physical terms, but also in psychological terms. And there's all sorts of research that shows this. And in in psychological challenges, what I would say is... um, there's a difference between saying like, I'm sad or upset and then slicing, dicing it apart between, well, is that sadness frustration? Is it anger? Is it jealousy? Is it loneliness? You see, we can add context and nuance to it. And the more context and nuance we understand or can add to what we're experiencing, the better we're able to deal with it. So if I feel anger, I can be like, great, this is anger maybe I can channel this towards something. Mm-hmm. Or if I feel like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm frustrated because I'm like lonely or whatever during COVID and haven't seen anybody. Well, that gives me a solution where I can say, I'm not going to push this away, but I need to call a friend or like hang out with somebody or get on a Zoom because I haven't seen anybody. So when we listen to our body and can, can understand it, then it gives us a little more information so that we can kind of decide what the solution can be.
0: Yeah, it's funny. I I think of uh, my daughter's four and like we're, we just got done trying to teach her some of this stuff because like uh, everything hurt her feelings and we're like, well, let me tell you what frustrated means or you're being impatient or all these things. Like it's not like that doesn't even make sense. That didn't hurt your feelings. Stop. Um, But the the training analogy is really great too because I even think of like brand new clients who are like, hey, like my my leg hurts. And I'm like, okay, well, where on your leg? They're like here. I'm like, okay, your quad. Okay. When does it hurt? when I'm on like rep 15 and I'm like, okay, is it like a burning, like kind of your, it's like swelling? Yes. That's just a pump. You're just doing a lot of reps. Like keep going, you know, or it's like, it's right here behind my knee. I'm like, oh, okay. We're not going to use the quote, pain is weakness, leaving the body. You're going to tear your ACL. Stop. <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> so I think that body awareness is so huge. Cause there is like, I think there's a lot of times I can think of being a coach for, you know, I coached a lot of youth athletes and gem pop people in person for years now we run an online coaching business but the amount of people we've had to help learn that process you know and and we've chosen very safe exercises to take to failure like for example an assault bike like a windgate bike you're not gonna really do much damage on there but it can get really uncomfortable so like let's use that to show you that body awareness because now we can teach you what discomfort and soreness or like muscle fatigue is versus you're about to tear something
1: spot on I think you guys, what you're doing there is is brilliant. And I'm so glad you brought up your four year old. So, my wife is a elementary school teacher Perfect. of, of fir- first graders. Mm-hmm. So, you know, while writing this book, I was telling her about this and she's like, you know, she's like, you know where like 90% of the tantrums come from in my class? And I'm like, no, I have no idea. And she's like, it's because something happened like Johnny stole a pencil or didn't select me for a kickball. And then they just say, like, My feelings are hurt or I'm Mm -hmm. sad. And like you go and press and you realize, oh, they just are feeling this flood of emotions and they have no idea like how to slice and dice it apart Mm like that. So it's developing. She's like, our job is to literally help them develop those skills so that they can understand their emotions so that they can deal with them.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: And it's it's the same with everything else is like the better we can do that, whether athletic sense, whether in a psychological sense, we're going to be in a better place.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I, my wife's at home and I, I work, so I'm not with her as much as my wife is. And I got to imagine your wife's really good at this, but it actually teaches you to like channel in maybe like, I always, I feel like I already understood my emotions, but now I can actually control them and determine what to do with them better. But even I was actually really proud last night where I was sitting outside in the cold sack and they were doing the scooters and her and the neighbor boy, he's a little bit younger. They wanted to do chase, but he was mimicking everything she said. So she was trying to explain the rules and he kept mimicking her. And it was really funny. I was trying not to laugh, but she was getting real, real pissed. I could tell. And she finally said, Weston, can I please speak before you do it again? And he said, yes. And then she was like, you can go first. I will go second. Here's how we do it. And he was like, okay. And then they went to go and she looked at me and she goes, dad, we had a discussion. And my first thought was like, where did you hear the word discussion? I've never heard you say that before. But it was like, I was like, good job. Like I'm proud of you. That's great. And then they went off and they did their thing. But it was like a perfect example of like, yes, it's working. You know, like they were like, she was trying so hard not to just scream at the kid. And I would have too. He was just literally mocking everything he said. She said, it was hilarious. And then they had a discussion. And it worked. It was so funny. But like that's it's a perfect example of that of yeah,
1: I, I love it. I love that example. I think that nails it and is is spot on on what we're trying to do with not only kids, but also adults is. What what I would add on there is, it's a lot easier to stop that emotional flood early on mm-hmm. if we know what we're doing versus when it's already spiraled all out of control and we've kind of lost it. Yeah. So why not learn how to how to deal with it early on?
0: Yeah, exactly. Or if I if another kid would have walked up and stole a scooter while she was doing that, I'm sure it would have went totally yeah. different because now it's a different <laughs> thing she's not prepared for. Um, and you know this goes right into the next pillar, which uh, I I mean look at that. You, it's like you planned them in order. Um, respond instead of react, which is exactly what you're saying here, right? Like getting prepared for these type of emotions, understanding the emotions. So, you know, you kind of know what comes next. You know mm-hmm. that like, if I, if I don't control these emotions, I know what I'm going to do. I know I'm going to blow up. I know how this is going to end up in um, learning to respond versus react.
1: It, exactly. That's what it is. I mean, to use the example for your, your, your kids, it's like, if Reacting is just going down that rabbit hole where we, we just go straight to that mental that mental and emotional spiral where we're just losing it. And to add some research onto this, there's some fascinating work that shows, and I'm going to simplify it a little bit, but it shows that when we react and we go down that spiral and we're catastrophizing and we're just spiraling out of control, our threat sensing area of the brain, our amygdala goes up. And what happens is as it rises, it sends a signal to our prefrontal cortex, which is executive functioning, like rational thinking. And our amygdala says, Hey, tamper down, we don't need you right now. So what happens is as we're spiraling out of control, our emotional side is just all in control and we have no rational thought. And the example I like to kind of illustrate this for for people is if you've ever been in an uh, argument. With your spouse or significant other or whoever, where it's just kind of it's kind of lost it. We've all had them every once in a while. And then someone says, like, I don't even know who you are anymore. And the reality is there's truth behind that because in those situations, what's happened is your, your rational brain, executive function, prefrontal cortex has gone offline. And what we're trying to do with responding is just, hey, the emotions gonna be there, that that spiraling inner doubt is gonna be there. But we want to keep it at a level where we're keeping that cool, calm, collected, rational thought able to step in and be like, OK, like, let's not spiral. Let's think this through. Let's to use your do- your kids. Uh, mm-hmm. Let's have a discussion. Mm-hmm. You know, we
0: even uh, it's a little slightly different uh, category of this, but um, we talk about like the one of the reasons to hire a coach for something is because it allows you to remove your emotional brain from this equation, right? So if I'm doing, yes. if I'm preparing for a photo shoot and I'm doing my own diet, well, emotionally, I just want more food and carbs and fat and everything. So like, I have to, like when I'm getting leaner and leaner, I have to remove my emotional bias and let somebody else's logical bias who doesn't care if I'm hungry, like they'll step in and, and make the logical decision. Um, now, what do you have? Like the, the practice I think of even in like a, an argument, right? Um, would be, take a deep breath. And like, part of it is like, if you come at me and I'm about to pop off, if I just remember to take one big deep breath, by the time I, I don't know if there's a science behind the breath specifically doing it. I think it's just that pause. Now I go, okay, I'm already doing this. I might as well fulfill the act of being a little bit more calm. You know, I'm already thinking about it, but is there practices or, or things that you go through in the book that kind of teach people how to actually do this?
1: Absolutely. So the breath is a great example because all you're doing is creating space. Mm. Like that pause creates a little bit space between that, that kind of stimulus and your desire to react. So anything we can do to create space and there's all sorts of things. So one of them is what we're literally paid attention to. So during high stress situations or reacting situations, our stress tends to narrow and only capture the thing that is causing the stress. So if you can literally shift your attention to anything else, paying attention to the scenery or like the other kid over here, or like shifting from the pain you're feeling to listening to your coach and paying attention to them or whatever have you, that will create enough space where you kind of drag yourself out of this emotional spiral. And then the, the other thing that is really interesting as well there's a bunch of them, but the other thing that is really interesting, and this applies more athletically, is how we talk to ourselves can create that space. So there's some fascinating work by Ethan Cross out of out of Michigan that found that if you switch from you know talking in first person, so you know I've got this, I can do this, to second or third person, so come on, Steve, you've got this what happens is our brain literally interprets it a little bit different and creates a little bit little bit of space or what they call psychological distance which dampens down that kind of emotion that comes with it and it sounds really weird to do but the reason is pretty simple is because we're so used to talking to ourselves in first person that if i say even even now if i say come on steve that sounds a little weird mm-hmm. And because it sounds a little weird, our brain almost like pauses to think like, okay. And then the other one that sounds even crazier, but works in athletic realms is taking your inner voice to outer voice. So if you're sitting there being like, come on, Steve, if you just start talking to yourself out loud, it actually has that creating that psychological distance effect. Now, if you don't want to sound crazy talking to yourself, I get it. What I would say is talk to someone else. So tell someone else, maybe a competitor or a teammate or fellow person working out, tell them what you want to hear. You know, come on, Jimmy, we can do this, et cetera. And what happens is your brain still hears that, still creates that psychological distance and dampens down that kind of like emotional reactivity that's going on.
0: Oh, that's so cool. I think of a few things. One, you, you actually hear, you see it in movies where it's like, Cody, get your shit together got to make you know what i mean but a lot of times in the scenes if you really think about it, it's them looking in the mirror and then the camera is like actually facing the mirror of themselves while they say it and it kind of gives that illusion you know um but funny enough i love when this stuff happens because there's a couple things i've done for a long time now that now are proven by science (laughs) and i didn't know and that's why i love it but uh i've told this story where like i it was an old eric thomas quote i don't know if you know who that is but he's a motivational speaker when I was like 18, and I still live with my dad. I wrote, uh, if you want to succeed as bad as you want to breathe, then you will be successful on my mirror. And I used to read it out loud to myself every morning. And there would be many days where I would walk out of my room. My dad would be like, who are you talking to? And I would just, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know who you're talking about. Like you're hearing shit. And I wouldn't say anything, but I brought that mirror with me to my first apartment. Like it ended up breaking after like the second place to try to move into. But for a long time, I, I would do that every day. And the other thing is I actually will... Um, even my, uh, podcast producer will say like, damn, you said that on the podcast because we'll be doing a Q and a or something. And I will intentionally say something out loud that we're working on. And it's like really going to be a push or I'm trying to invest in or something like that because it's a goal of mine. And I know if I speak it out loud and people hear it, it increases the accountability for me to get it done. Um, but then I notice I start saying it more in conversations and I just start talking about it more and more and then it happens, you know? So
1: I love it. And to give you a little bit more psychology and science is often we think or uh, what some of the modern psychology shows is that like our brain uses kind of like what we say and what we do to make those better predictions that we're talking about. So if you're saying it out loud and out loud over and over again, it's almost like our brain goes like, Oh crap! Like we're talking about this, we must actually mean this, and this must actually, mm-hmm. you know, mean something, and we care about it. So then it becomes more important, more valuable, and we're more motivated to make it a reality.
0: Have you have you heard of uh, Doctor Caroline Leaf?
1: Yes. Okay, so yep.
0: I had her on the podcast, and I asked her. Uh, if there's any validation behind speaking it into the universe. Cause I I just don't like the idea of like, if you just say it, like, it'll just come to you on a silver platter. But I asked her, I was like, I hate when people think of it that way, but I do it often. So like, what's the deal here? And she kind of said something similar. And it was like, um, if you, if you say it enough, subconsciously, your mind will start changing the way you operate, the actions and habits that you do every day uh, to be more aligned with that thing. Um, and you end up accomplish that thing. And that's why I loved what you said earlier about, um, I wrote it down. It's called uh, narrative therapy. I've never heard of it, but I've often talked to people about um, like basically like creating a script or in your head or on a journal, or whatever of like the future you, you want to be like, what is the best version of yourself? And then it's, it's just like, well, what does that dude do compared to you right now? Just start doing that. Just start acting like that person. But I think the act of like writing it down and visualizing that version of yourself kind of changes the way you, you operate day to day.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is why volunteering or doing, you know, good things out in the world, um, you know, working at a church or um, or a food kitchen or whatever have you, like one of the reasons that those things work is because we're doing something that has obvious value for others, right? And our brain kind of interprets it as like, oh, we must be a good person. Mm. Like, this must be meaningful. This must be part of who I am. Like, I am a good person, because like, I'm volunteering my time, energy and effort to do this thing uh, that is, you know, that is valuable to others. So I must not just be a selfish person. So our actions, again, you know, kind of bring it full circle is our actions kind of tell the story to our brain of like, how do I make sense of what I'm doing, and integrate it into my life, And, um, that's where I think it comes back to that kind of like ideal self is we can think about it. We can speak about it. We can write about it. We can also do things. And if we do those things, then like what happens is we're going to get closer and closer to kind of putting a story together where it's like, oh, I am this person who does good things, works hard, you know, has high ethics or morals, et cetera, et cetera.
0: Yeah. Absolutely, um, and that that brings us to the final pillar. This is like perfect time-wise too. Um, transcend discomfort. What are we talking about here?
1: Yeah, so this has two parts, and I think one is what we talked about at the beginning there, which is like purpose and meaning. And I think it was the the psychologist Viktor Frankl, who was a Holocaust mm. uh, survivor, who I quote in the book, who did this wonderful work where he said essentially like we can find meaning in Even the most horrible things. So for him, it was going through the, the Holocaust. If I can find meaning in the the difficult or the mundane, what that does is it makes me a better person because I can integrate that into my life story. And I think that's what I'm talking about when I say transcend discomfort. Is so often with with taking on challenges, we think of like you know, oh, how do I you know navigate this difficult emotion or whatever we've talked about, and all those things are important. But I think it's greater than that is how do you create meaning out of going through the discomfort or suffering you're going through? And then the other part of that, I think, is how does your environment support you taking on those challenges? Mm. So if you have the right people around you, if you have an environment that supports you taking risks and sometimes failing and not seeing failure as like this horrible thing that we have to avoid at all costs but it's this thing that hey it's going to happen because we're human and we need to then learn from it and then get back on the the horse and and grow from it and if we can do that then we're going to take on more challenges and then put ourselves in a better opportunity to uh to grow and and be better people
0: uh great book by the way Uh, i think it's a man's search for meaning is that
1: Yes, okay. exactly. It's
0: been a while wow, since I've read it, but really, really good book. Um, and then uh, I, I love the, the last part too with the environment. Cause I think there's a lot of times where people, whether they realize it or not, like their fear of failure is stemming from judgment of others. And I think that more often than not, when I've talked to people and it's like, okay, well, if we really look at who you care about judging you, like the people you truly care about, would they actually judge you for failing? And the answer is always no and if they truly would you now start having second opinions of if they're somebody you really care about you know because that's the reality is people who love you people care about you people who want to be in your environment and you want to be in your environment that do support you they never give a shit if you fail they're not going to be the ones that rub it in your face so i think that removing uh, improving the environment and removing that fear of failure is so important
1: absolutely i think that you know i've seen the same thing and actually in sport there's all sorts of research that shows that choking and sport is tied to that like fear of judgment. Mm. So if we can, uh, you know, minimize and eliminate that, because you're right. Whenever you ask people, I always, I would always do this with athletes. I'd be like, are your mom and dad or coach or whoever, are they really going to hate you if you fail? (laughs) And inevitably the answer is like, no. And it's like, okay, so stop worrying about it. Like they're still going to love and support you even if you fail. Mm -hmm. So anything we can do to create that space where we can, you know, take those risks and not fear failure, we're going to be in a better spot.
0: I think that's actually probably the hardest thing that I see with clients too, is, is just like, um, whether I'm talking to other like business owners that I mentor or nutrition clients, anything like that, it's, it's that being able to turn off the emotional brain and think about the logical brain. Cause like what you just said there, it's a very emotional thing to fear that. And it's a very logical understanding when you to get over it. And it's so hard shift. I do this with like, I used to get really worked up when I would speak at seminars, whether it was 20 people or a hundred or more people. And it was, it was the same feeling no matter how big until I started really thinking about like, okay, I'm going up here and these people are here for either just me or me and the rest of the speakers, no matter what, like they are very interested in what I have to say. Otherwise I wouldn't be here. Like, so, and it is really awkward when you see somebody bomb on stage and you're sitting in in there, So they don't want me to lose. They want me to win. They want to support me. Like, and I started really thinking about that as like, nope, I'm supposed to be here. They want me to be here. That's like the, the logical thing that makes the most sense. And it just completely, I'd still get like, you know, ready, but I could look at it as excitement versus anxiety. Like we talked about earlier, way easier when I understood that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's just kind of reframing things and seeing things clearly. And if we can do that, we're going to be in a much better place to take on whatever challenge we're going to face.
0: Yeah. Well, man, I love this. Is I mean, this podcast is like, I was really excited about this one and I'm really glad we did it because this is like exactly what the kind of stuff I love talking about. Um, but it's always just like random thoughts in my head that I just kind of blurt randomly. So now we have some science behind it. Uh, I want to tell everybody where they can find uh, whether, you, you know, what social platform you're on as well as your website because I know your website has like um, your books and everything like that and wherever you want people, whatever's the best place for them to buy your book, not just Amazon, if that's not the place, but like wherever the best is for you, let them know so they can check out all your content and find the book.
1: Yeah, so you can get the book, uh, Do Hard Things wherever you want. Honestly, it doesn't matter too much. Amazon, Barnes & Noble, your local bookstore, wherever you want to buy it is, is fine with me. Um, and then you can check me out. I'm on all social media, Twitter, Instagram, all that stuff at Steve Magnus. And then um, you can find all my stuff, newsletters, et cetera, at stevemagnus.com.
0: Perfect. We will link all that in the description of this podcast. And again, thank you for your time. This has been a really, really cool podcast.
1: Yeah, no, thanks, man. I really enjoyed it, Cody. You're doing some great stuff. So glad to have the conversation.
0: Thank you.